good morning, everyone. Good morning, and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. It is the Lord that has called us here today, and he has called us here to worship him, for he alone is worthy of our praise and honor and glory. And so I welcome you, whether you are a visitor or a lifelong member or somewhere in between, it doesn't matter, it is the Lord again that has called us here. And so welcome. I'm, I'm so glad that we have this opportunity to worship together, certainly at this beautiful time of the year. It is hard to believe, but Christmas Eve is only one week away. And we still have Christmassy things going on, like tonight at 6 o'clock. We will be having our Christmas cantata and a wonderful reception to follow in Providence Hall. Please do make a point to come out for this. You will be immensely blessed. It's such a wonderful time um, to, to really focus our minds and our hearts on what matters, especially this season. Now, also, as you are planning for Christmas, please know that one week from today, Christmas Eve, our worship service is at the regularly scheduled time, so please make plans to come out and worship with us. Now, there are other things going on, like, for instance, the fact that we are installing new officers today, and we are ordaining one, but that's in just a few minutes, so please do be aware of those things, uh, other things that are going on in your bulletin. Also, 2024 offering envelopes are in Providence Hall, so, so please pick those up. Now, before we get started this morning, I want to call on Dr. Rob Marsh, who is chairman of the Finance Committee for our Sanctuary Refreshing Project, just to come share a couple of things with you. As you can see, or you may not have noticed due to the poinsettias, but the steps are in. It smells like paint in here, doesn't it, right? We're getting closer and closer. So, uh, so Rob, come on up. Thank you. I I'm bringing you good news. And you know, in Old Providence, we're really blessed. We're blessed because spiritually, because we're hearing the Word of God. We're blessed as a congregation because our congregation is very diverse and growing. We're blessed with facilities. And as you see, we're in the process of, of updating this 100-year-old building. And it should be like we're on track. Am I not right, David, to be finished sometime before Easter? That's our current thing. All right. Financially, the church has been very blessed as well. I think we can see that in the budget and our reports. As far as the finances for this refurbishing project, um, our goal was $300,000, and we're at one fifty-five right now. Maybe a little bit over. That was last week's number. Um, we're not even halfway done through the, the fundraising campaign. Most of it is through contributions rather than people um, filling out pledge cards, which is fine. We ask this time at the end of the year that you think about the uh, refurbishing uh, committee and, and donate if you have the resources. But in full transparency, I think it should be known, one, that we have the money in the church to pay for this. So we're not going to borrow anything. Um, what we want to do, we. It looks like the project is about on budget line. The total cost is going to be between 450 and 500. We've already designated two of our CDs for work, and what we'd like to do with this with this money is then replenish some of that so that we have some reserve. But nonetheless, we do have money in the bank account to pay all the bills. But I just want to remind you all to think about the uh, refurbishing committee as as we have end of the year funds. So thank you. Thank you very much, Rob. Again, lots of exciting things going on. Once again, not the least of which is installing and, and well, ordaining one new officer and installing other officers that are returning. The Lord really has blessed us. It's, it's evident in so many ways. So it's appropriate now that we come together with hearts filled with gratitude for worship. So let's prepare our hearts as Donna leads us in the prelude.
For our call to worship this morning, we once again go to the book of Isaiah. Some have called it the gospel of Isaiah because though it was written 700 years before that first Christmas, around 700 years, there are so many prophecies that point forward to who Jesus Christ is, to what Jesus would do. And he's given so many different names, one of which, one of which is, is the rod out of the stem of Jesse, the branch that shall grow out of his roots. So from Isaiah chapter 11 we read, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. It shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor. And reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the ass, and the wicked child, or the weakened child, shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. My friends, again, the book of Isaiah was written to God's people some 700 years before Jesus was born that first Christmas at Bethlehem. And yet, the prophet pointed forward to who this Messiah would be. To what this Messiah would do and that he would not only fix temporary problems, immediate problems, but with him would come ultimate peace. I say it all the time. There's nothing wrong that Jesus does not make right. And while we have so much to remember this Christmas season, certainly the beauty of the time, time with one another, it is this peace, this hope of Christ that surpasses all others that should fill our hearts with gratitude and delight. So let us keep these things in mind as we continue through this Christmas time together. And now we come to a special moment in our worship service as we ordain and install new deacons and elders. So those recently elected, I'd ask you to come up and stand in front of me down here and face the congregation, please. So elders and deacons at the same time that are being installed. Thank you very much. As I've said already, this is a wonderful time in the life of our churches as we welcome men who are willing to serve and as we continue in the tradition of teaching God's word. We ordain and install deacons to serve the church, to carry out acts of mercy and compassion for our members and tend to the temporal side of things for the life of the church. We ordain and install elders to rule over the affairs of the church in all areas, but especially as it relates to spiritual matters. But ultimately, it is the elders that make decisions on behalf of you for our church. Now realize we don't just do this out of tradition, but rather we find these offices instituted and practiced in the New Testament church. And we affirm that when God gives you a system of government, you don't just set it aside, but rather you follow it. These men that are before you are here ultimately to serve the Lord and his kingdom and specifically you the people of his church. So do be in prayer for them and remember the promise that you will make in the days to come. To that end, while I'm speaking about promises, I have questions for them, vows that they will make, and also questions for you, the members of this congregation. Now we are not ordaining all of these men, but for the sake of ease and reaffirmation, I'm going to ask them all the same questions 
and then we'll be ordaining Trevor. But as we go through the question, this is for all of you men, elders and deacons. First, do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and do you confess anew the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and acknowledge him head over all things for the church, which is his body? Do you? Number two, do you reaffirm your belief in the Bible, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the word of the living God, the only perfect rule of faith and practice, infallible in all that it teaches and form of government, as it says there, and inerrant in the original manuscripts, and to which nothing is to be added and from which nothing is to be taken away at any time or upon any pretext, do you? Number three, do you accept the doctrines of this church contained in the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms as founded on the word of God and as the expression of your own faith? And do you resolve to adhere thereto? Do you accept the government discipline and worship of the associate reformed Presbyterian church? Do you accept the office of elder and deacon in this congregation? And do you promise to perform faithfully all the duties of the office and do you promise to endeavor by the grace of God to live your life in Christian witness before the church and in the world? Do you promise to submit in the spirit of love to the authority of the session and to the higher courts of the church? And then finally, lastly, do you promise in all things to promote the unity, peace, purity, and prosperity of this church? Very good. And now I have questions for you, the members of the congregation, and they are separate questions for deacons and elders. So first, for the elders, and then I'll, I'll ask both and then I'll ask you to stand. The first for elders is, do you, the members of this congregation, acknowledge and receive these fellow members as elders? And do you promise to give them all the honor, obedience, encouragement, and assistance in the spirit of love to which their office, according to the word of God and the standards of this church, entitles them? That's for elders. And for deacons, do you, the members of this congregation, acknowledge and receive these fellow members as deacons? And do you promise to give them all the honor, encouragement, and assistance in the spirit of love to which their office, according to the word of God and the standards of this church, entitles them? If you will, please stand. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, if Trevor Mish will come and join me up here, right beside me, and all the members that are actively on the session. So if you are currently serving on the session, come on and join us up front here. Get right there. Now, as I've said before, the other men that are present are being installed. That means they have already been ordained to their respective offices. But Trevor, this is his first time serving. And so it's necessary that he be ordained. Um, as the elders are coming forward, let me pray uh, specifically for Trevor. Our Father, as we come into this time, we come with grateful hearts, praising you for all the ways that you have seen, work to, seen fit to work in your church, including giving us officers. Um, as I think about this special moment in Trevor's life, as I think about my friendship with Trevor, as I think about his family, what a wonderful thing it is to see your faithfulness and to see at the same time Trevor's willingness to serve, your, your faithfulness being worked through him. I praise you for our friendship. I, I praise you for what I have seen you do in his life. I thank you for his family. What, what a precious treasure they are to us and to this congregation as well. Please be with him both now in this moment when he is ordained, but also in the future as he seeks to serve you. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Trevor, I'm going to have you kneel right here. Men, if we can lay on hands. Very good. And now, Trevor Mish, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great head of the church, I now declare you duly ordained and installed in the sacred office of deacon. And I do this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may rise. Thank you. Welcome. All right. Now all of you men may be seated. And as you are seated, let me remind you, Trevor, and you, the rest of you men, to seek the Lord's faith while you dutifully serve our church. 
because your calling as deacons and as elders comes from the Lord. Remember that. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. Do what is right in the Lord's eyes, and in so doing, you will do right for old problems. Now, as we come into this time of worship again, let's go to the Lord in prayer, after which we will pray the Lord's Prayer and confess the Apostles' Creed together. But let's go to him. Our God and our Father, what a wonderful time this is in the life of our church, where your blessings are evident in so many different ways, including in this time. We pray that as we continue in this time of worship, uh, that you would, again, give us grateful hearts. That you would give us your perspective, that we would see with your eyes, that we would see what you are doing. Father, please work in our hearts now and guide us by your Holy Spirit so that this time would continue to be pleasing to you. We pray these things in Christ's name and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, pay attention to what you say. What is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. And now as we continue in our worship together, please stand with me. Take your hymnals and let's turn to 168 as we sing Angels from the Realms of Glory. Number 168. Please stand. be seated and children come join me down on this pew over here all the way over here 
Right over here. All right, over there, Gabe. If we'll all fit, I think that we will. All righty. Let me get behind you there, darling. Oh, can you hand that to me, darling, please? Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. Good morning. Good morning. That was very nice. I hope that everybody is doing okay. Can you guys believe that we are one week away from Christmas Eve. Is that not amazing? That probably means that some of you are getting out of school sometime soon. Yes, that's right. I'm telling you, it's, it's close, guys. It's close. I don't know what I, when I was your age, I started thinking about, I don't know if I was more excited about Christmas or if I was more excited about not having school. It was pretty big. And you know, one day I actually became a teacher. And teachers used to tell us this thing all the time. They used to say, believe it or not, we're more excited about Christmas break than you are. And when I, when I was a kid, I did not believe them. But let me tell you, they were telling the truth. They're even more excited than, than you guys are. And we have some teachers in our congregation here. Anyway, so Christmas, again, it's just such a wonderful time, isn't it? I hope that, that everybody's excited. And not just for the normal things that make Christmas wonderful, like presents and food and family and activities, all those sorts of things. I'm excited for those things too, but let's remember to be excited for all the important things we're supposed to remember at Christmas time. Now, let's see. Do any of you remember what this thing is beside me right here? There's a special word for it. Very good, yes, Advent. Good job, Chloe. That's right. It is our Advent wreath, and each week we light a different candle that's supposed to point us to something that we should remember at the Advent season. Now, last week when we were together, we talked about the first candle right there, which represents hope, right? We talked about the hope of Christmas and how Jesus came to give us hope because Jesus came to die for our sins. But the second candle is what I said we would talk about this week. So I'm going to light that one. I'm going to tell you what it means in just a second. And we also light the third one. And next week, I'm going to tell you what the third and the fourth candle represent, okay? The second candle kind of goes along with the first one. The first one is hope, right? Remember last week we talked about hope, how hope is not the same as wishing. Some people say, oh, I hope this will happen, but they don't, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Instead, hope is what we make our plans on, okay? And the hope of Christmas is that we can trust in Jesus because God always keeps his promises. And he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to save us from our sins. But the second candle, this next purple one, points to something very close to hope. It points to peace. Peace. Now, peace is another one of those words that people use it, and it means different things to different people. Most of the time when we hear the word peace now, they use it in relation to fighting, right, when fighting stops. But peace is even bigger than that. Maybe you paid attention to what I read earlier in the call to worship, but it's from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7. And he talks about all the things that Jesus is going to come to do. And he uses what's called imagery. He uses pictures with words to make us understand something. He talks about how one day when Jesus comes back, he talks about how the lion will lay down with the lamb. Now, you guys tell me. I, I don't know of anybody that has lions here, but some of y'all have lambs. Yes. Now, y'all know lambs. Sometimes lambs don't get along too well with other animals, right? I my barn. Yes, that's right. You do have them. That's right. But you got to be careful with lambs, right? Because what happens if coyotes get to lambs? That's right. It's just very bad. Now, we don't have... That's right. We don't have lions running around, but we do have critters that can be very dangerous for lambs and for sheep. But it talks about how when Jesus comes, one day all of that's going to be fixed. How the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. Now he uses another image. He talks about young children playing near the cobra's den. Does anybody like snakes here? No, no, no. no, no, no Charlie's like, no, 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 no. Not only does Charlie not like snakes, she's, you don't like them at all, do you? You know, Miss Amanda is terrified of snakes. She doesn't even like to see pictures of snakes. They scare her so bad. But it talks about how when Jesus comes back, 
that one day it's going to be as if children can play around snakes because there's not going to be any danger. Guys, like I said earlier, sometimes when people use the word peace, they just talk about fighting. But the peace that is promised through Jesus is about so much more. It's about how one day when Jesus finally comes back, he's come first at Christmas, but then he died and he went back to heaven. But he's coming back. And when that day comes, every single thing wrong in the world is going to be made right. That means no more fighting, yes. But it also means no more wrongness of any other kind. It means that we that's a great buddy. That, let me tell you, it means, anybody been sick before? No. Lately? I, I have. I'm still Not coughing. Me. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be no more sickness. Not me. Right? Can you imagine? Oh, but also, day. has anybody... That's good. Though. Now, now listen, listen close to me. Has anybody ever lost somebody close to him, or maybe somebody in their family died? Well, when Jesus comes back, nobody's going to die anymore. Isn't that wonderful? Everything that's wrong is going to be made right. And at Christmas time, though, there's lots of wonderful things to remember. Remember what that second candle points to. The peace of Jesus. How he's going to fix everything. And in the meantime, we're called to trust him. Okay? Let me pray for you. Our Father, I thank you for these children, and I pray that you would help them to trust in you. And the rest of us, too. Sometimes we get wrapped up in the things of this world, and we forget to think about heaven. We forget to think about all the wonderful things that are promised in your word, how one day full and total peace is going to come and everything wrong will be made right. Help us to trust in you in the meantime while we wait. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all can go.
Thank you very much, choir. What a wonderful reminder. That I would encourage you, go back, and I'm not preaching on this this time, but go back and read the Magnificat, Mary's response, her song of praise upon learning that she received the blessing of carrying the Lord Jesus Christ. Really such beautiful devotion and understanding of all the promises that God made in sending his one and only son. So again, thank you, choir. Well, my friends, as I referenced with the children earlier, the third candle is burning before us this morning. The first that we talked about a couple of weeks ago points to the hope of Christmas and that God's people looked forward to the coming Messiah. That wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace that Isaiah in chapter 9 and so many other Old Testament passages point to. The second candle that is burning points to the peace of Christmas, as I talked about with the children. And also last week, as we saw in Galatians 4, when at the fullness of time, God sent his one and only son. Why? Well, for many reasons, but ultimately to make peace between God and man, providing not only forgiveness for sins, but purification. After all, apart from Christ, you realize we're at enmity with God. I don't know if you, you realize that. That, that, that. That's the dynamic here. Without Jesus, you are at enmity with God. You're, you're part of that great striving darkness that John wrote of in John chapter 1. He wrote of Christ that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness of the world is not neutral in any way, shape, or form. The darkness of the world seeks to snuff out the light of Jesus Christ. And apart from him, we're part of that darkness Yet with Christ, quite the opposite. We're adopted as, as God's children. We're, we're filled with his spirit. And in so doing, we are enabled to cry out to him, not just as our creator. Not just as the supreme master of the universe, though he is. Through Christ, we cry out to God as our father. But still, a third candle is burning before you. And what does it represent? What truths does it point to as we ponder what is Christmas really all about? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Perhaps you recognize Luke chapter 2 as I recognize it as the Christmas story itself. Uh, now, as we read today, realize we're going to be reading from the King James Version. I've, I've said this before. There's no law about this anymore, but there ought to be. Some passages really should just be read in the King James and and Luke 2 is one of them. But don't worry, it's not hard to understand. Again, take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 1. But before we read anything, let's go to the Lord and ask for help. Let's go to him now. Our God and our Father, as we come to your word, we come facing a deficit. <clears throat> any Lord's Day, any time that we come to your word, we have to battle against ourselves against our prejudice, against our understanding, against the philosophy of this world that would echo in our heads. Father, please, by your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and minds. Turn the lights on so that we would see, so that we would know, so that we would understand you and why it is you've done what you've done. We can't do this without you, so please guide us now. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So, what does that third candle burning represent? What is Christmas really all about? Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, 
I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The angel said unto one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the, angel, and the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for, for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Well, my friends, there you have it. The Christmas story itself. As I thought back on my childhood when every Christmas Eve my father would take a a big family Bible, and read Luke chapter 2 to us. The Christmas story resonates with Luke chapter 2. And yet, though we've heard it, we still have that question. What is Christmas really all about? Well, consider what we've just read. What it comes down to is that what we've just read is the telling of when God came near. If you were here Wednesday night, we talked about this somewhat at our program Excuse me. We talked about it Wednesday night. It's when God took on flesh and he made his dwelling among us and for us. Despite the circumstances, he came. And as we've just read, what circumstances they were. Think about them just for a moment. As we read, and this is one of the reasons I love the King James Version because it makes no qualms. It just tells it like it is. The very first circumstance we're given is right there in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Not just everyone, y'all. The whole world, as anybody knew it, was called to pay up. And right off the bat, this is the Christmas story's setting. It may not be what you think about when you think about Christmas. Taxes, Uh, but nevertheless, that's the setting here. Uh, As you as you know, I think back on my father reading this on Christmas Eve. um, It's interesting what you remember as a child, isn't it? You remember the things that you used to think about in getting ready for Christmas. As I was talking about the kids, you know, being out of school, presents, all of those things. I can tell you what was not on my mind was taxes. But as I think about my father reading this to us when I was just a kid, I wonder if this isn't one of those things that that stuck out to him just a little bit. You don't think about that stuff when you're a kid. When you're a minister, you especially do. The federal tax code doesn't permit the church to withhold any taxes from me, from my paycheck. I don't know if you knew that. Um, That means that I, and if I'm honest, it's actually Amanda that does it. She has to get online and, and log into an account which I don't even know the username or password for. She's just that wonderful. I probably need to find that out in case something happens. But nevertheless, we pay our taxes, okay? doesn't mean that we agree with what they're used for, but the simple act of looking over, and I'm like, what you doing? And she's like, I'm, I'm paying your taxes. Oh, it adds insult to injury. And it's nothing to do that, to log in online. Imagine the gravity of what we just read, though. The gravity of verse 3. That not only is the whole world, this is the time of the Roman Empire, the whole world, as everybody knew it, was under Roman control. Not only is the whole world being taxed, we find out from verse 3 that everybody has not only got to pay taxes, they got to go back to their city of origin, to their hometown, where their family comes from to pay tax. Now for me, it's bad enough when Amanda has to get online to pay taxes. If I had to drive myself to Spartanburg, South Carolina... To pay taxes? And, and, and even that, I mean, it, it's, it's about a five and a half, six hour drive. And we have planes, trains, and automobiles and such. 
Think back to Israel some 2,000 years ago, and the means of transportation were drastically different, especially for people like Mary and Joseph, because we know that they were exceedingly poor. By societal standards, we know from later on in the chapter, from, from Luke 2.24, they were allowed to offer a pair of turtle doves at the temple. That was reserved for the absolute poorest people in that society. So that means their transportation was even more limited. And so not only are they being taxed, not only do they have to travel all the way to Bethlehem, which would have been an exceedingly difficult journey. Again, I love the terminology of the King James. Mary is great with child. It's good terminology for meaning she's about to pop. And they don't have a choice. They've got to do this. There were no tax exemptions with the Roman Empire. That, in that sense, everybody was equal because everybody had to pay. And when you look at what they went through to get there, right, from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, it's around a 90-mile journey. <coughs> Excuse me. 90 miles journey. You can kind of see, I don't know if you can tell from the map, the terrain changes. Treacherous terrain, treacherous people, okay? And if all of these things weren't enough, If these weren't enough, when Mary and Joseph finally got to Bethlehem, we find out in verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Again, just think about these circumstances. I don't think we get the gravity of the situation, the the power of what's being said here. Yes, there's all the temporal things, right? The, The difficulty, the taxes, all of that stuff is not good. But it culminates here. Y'all, this is Jesus we're talking about. This is God the Son. The same one in John chapter 1 where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We would also find out from John 1 that nothing was made. Again, John 1, 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. God the Son, who created all things, he left glory. He left perfect communion with the Father and the Son. He took on flesh. He humbled himself to come here. He felt cold for the first time. He felt pain for the first time. Though previously in perfect communion in heaven, he came to this state of humility, humbling himself to be born, to rely on the care of Mary and Joseph. But the icing, the horrible icing on this cake, the cherry on top of it all, is that even though everything in creation was made through him, when he got here, there was no room. Keep on going in John chapter 1. You find out not only was there no room, he came to his own. But they wouldn't receive him. Though he made the world, the world wouldn't recognize him, wouldn't accept him. But he came nonetheless, you see. Not in a state of ignorance. Knowing all of these things. I I read from Isaiah chapter 7 earlier this morning and and last week I read from Isaiah chapter 9 both of these talk about the coming of the Christ right the the coming of the Messiah the root out of the stump of Jesse these beautiful things but I can also take you to Isaiah and point to the fact that 700 years he was born not only did they know that the Messiah was coming they knew that he would be hung on a tree they knew he would be rejected despised but he still came Though nothing was right by our estimation in our minds, Jesus still came and that first Christmas still happened. Now, in light of this, that question, what is Christmas really all about? We've seen already from Isaiah, right? Christmas is all about hope. Last week from Galatians, we saw that Christmas is all about peace. But here in our passage today in Bethlehem, So long ago when God made his dwelling among us, we see that Christmas is about something other than hope and peace. It's about something that results from hope and peace. What is Christmas really all about? We find the answer to that question in the rest of our text. 
in the aftermath, after verse 7. Because it's in verse 8 that we find out that after the Bethlehem narrative has taken place, after Jesus was born, we find out that they were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, that's the next setting. We go from Bethlehem to the wilds, to the countryside, to the wilderness. Imagine being there with those shepherds, just keeping watch. It's just another night to those shepherds. Verse 9, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The language there is interesting. It's not like the angel just showed up. The language is that of an ambush. That they're just there minding their own business. And not just any angel. The angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. They were terrified. I wonder, have you ever taken the time to think about this message? About what the glory of the Lord must be like? I'd encourage you to do so because I don't think we spend nearly enough time thinking about heaven. Nearly enough time thinking about God's glory. But that's what those shepherds saw. A little slice of it at least. And that glory, according to verse 9, it shone round about them. It's this... This comprehensive fullness of glory and light and wonder. Those shepherds that we know that would have been part of society that was dejected. Part of society that wasn't accepted. For just a few moments, the reality of their harsh world, it vanished. And it was replaced by the light of glory. And it must have been amazing because... They were sore afraid. that They were nearly terrified out of their minds because of this glory that was comprehensive. They'd never seen it before. But out of this glory came a message. It was short, but it was oh so sweet. And in it we find the real answer to what is Christmas really all about. The message out of that glory, verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. What's Christmas all about? What does that candle represent? Christmas is all about joy. That's what. Joy is what results from hope and peace. Good tidings of great joy, in fact. And just what are these good tidings? And what do they bring in terms of joy? Why is Christmas all about joy? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The joy of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, the peace of Christmas are all linked. They're all fused to the fact that at Christmas we don't celebrate just the birth of a baby. We celebrate the coming of a Savior. And that ought to tell us something. If a savior was necessary, that meant that there was some saving that needed to happen. The question is, do you know this salvation? Here's the thing. If If you don't know why you need a savior, if you don't understand the need for that salvation that Christmas brought, you'll never understand the joy of Christmas without understanding why we needed a savior. You'll never understand what Christmas is really all about. And therein is the problem that our world faces. You want to know what's really wrong with what Christmas has become and how the world celebrates it? You you want to know the thing that's missing for the world that they are desperately trying to find and no matter what they do to try to find it, they always come up short and they try really hard, don't they? I mean, look at the stuff that that crops up this time of the year. Um, Oh, I can't remember her name. Rocking around the Christmas tree, whoever wrote that, that's number one on the Billboard music charts, and it's 65 years old. That song has come back. You know, you, you turn on the TV, you, you look at the newspaper, you see the Coca-Cola Santa back and in action. The world is trying to use nostalgia to find it, but it can't. And the world tries to use gifts and presents and acquisitions, but it can't provide it. Look at what Christmas has become. It's, it's been reduced down to so many things that have no eternal significance, Half the time, people don't even use the term Christmas anymore. Why? Because what the world is really trying to find through Christmas, but can't, in spite of all its attempts, is joy. But the world can't find that joy because, y'all, Christmas without Christ is empty. 
You know, I, I know it's Latin in origin. I wish it were Spanish because if it were Christmas without Christ is just mas. It's just more. It's just more. If you know Spanish, mas means more. But it's just more. And every year, isn't it more and more and more? And people try and they try to find this. It's eternal. But Christmas without Christ really is empty. Even so, a Christmas without Christ, it brings no joy. Because without the Savior, there's no good news. If you don't have a Savior, you still need saving. You're still in bondage, slavery to the world like we talked about last week. Without Christ, there is no great joy. And quite the opposite, instead of joy, there's discontentment. There's this wondering and wandering. There's this searching. But for those that do know Christ, for those that have placed their faith in Him, Christmas signifies the moment, the beginning of the end, really. And no, I don't mean this in a bad way. Christmas signifies the beginning of the end of strife, pain, wondering, loss. Christmas signifies the beginning of the end of all the wrongness of the world. But if you don't see Jesus as Savior, you won't see that either. So what do we do about that? What do we do about this world that has no room for the Savior? Well, you see, this is where the shepherds come in. That's why the candle burning before you is pink. It's also been called the shepherd's candle. Why? Because the shepherds heard the angel's message and they responded. They saw this great light. And so it says in verse 15 there that the shepherds said one to another, let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known. And they came with haste. But y'all, they didn't stop there. You see, because Christmas is all about joy. The shepherds weren't content to keep these things to themselves. Instead, as verse 17 says, when they'd seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And what was the result? As they told what they had seen, as they told what they had heard, as they shared their joy, what happened? Well, everybody who heard it wondered at these things which were told to them by the shepherds. Why? Is it because the shepherds told them something so crazy, so incredible? No. It's because Christmas is all about joy. And when those shepherds, after hearing the good news of Jesus, after seeing the Christ, went and proclaimed these things to people, people listen! Because y'all, joy is such a rare thing in our weary world. Think about the thing that's really missing out there. Think about the world's propensity to devour itself and everything going on around you, the confusion, the desperation, the heartache, the, the wars, the rumors of wars. We could go on and on about all the things out there. But what's really missing is joy. It's because of the desperation of the world that joy is so rare that it's contagious. Why did the people listen to the shepherds? This is why. And so you and I face a calling in light of this. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. Will you? You know, Christians have the monopoly on joy. Just like we have the monopoly on truth. Just like we have the monopoly on meaning and significance and on purpose in this life. But my friends, we can never forget that that is our calling. To reflect that light. As Jesus he was born in Bethlehem. He'd go on to say to his disciples, and by extension, you and me, you're the light of the world. A town on a hill can't be hidden. Not other people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead. They put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You realize of all the things used to describe the church, of all the phrases used to describe who God's people should be, this is the one that oftentimes we miss, but it's who we ought to be. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our light is to reflect the light of Christ. And that light is sparked and blazes forth with joy. Because Christ is our Savior. What is Christmas really all about? It's all about joy. And if we can't be joyful... Those that know the Lord, who can? Again, there's a calling for us here in light of Christmas. In light of all the trappings, in light of all the wonderful things, and they are wonderful. Let us not forget that we are to be people characterized by joy. If you know the Lord, 
let it shine forth. If you do not know the Lord, then realize that this joy can be yours as well, but only in Jesus Christ. Take the time to go to him if you have not. Ask him to save you and he will. If you want to talk, I'll be right out there after. But if he's done this for you, let your light shine as you point to the joy of Christmas. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that Christmas is not one of those things that needs to be unlocked as if there's some missing piece that we're trying to find and we'll, we'll use everything from music that was popular 60 years ago to toys to gatherings to sometimes other things we use to try to find meaning and purpose. Instead, let us find meaning and purpose in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If there are any here that do not know you, Work in their hearts now to that end that they would come to you. Let them receive the free offer of the gospel. But for those of us that do know you, let us realize how much we have to be thankful for. Let our hearts be filled with joy as we proclaim your greatness. For this is what Christmas is all about. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now as we close this time together, let us remember... The joy of Christmas as we sing that great Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, number 161. Please stand. Receive now the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship and the joy of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.